Hello everyone and welcome to the Squiggly Animation Podcast. In this episode we welcome Oscar-winning animation duo Alison Snowden and David Fine. It's a wonderful day for a podcast. Wouldn't you agree, Steve? I certainly would, Ben. It is an absolutely marvellous day for a podcast. Well, festival season is nearly upon us. I mean, I guess technically festivals are kind of a year-round thing. Yeah. They don't really come in seasons. Um, But this is festival Christmas, isn't it? Yeah. Why not? (laughs) Right in the middle of June. Big clump of the major ones. Mm. All come along at once, like a clog in a drain. <laughs> Our guest for this episode has their new film in four of these big festivals in a row, which is greedy, frankly. Yeah. We'll get to that in a minute. Absolutely. Uh, you're going to Annecy, of course. I certainly am, yeah. I, I, I wouldn't miss it, Ben. Uh, it looks like a good year. Um, yeah, I don't know what else to say. I mean, what? It's so good, you're speechless. It's it's I'm I'm flummoxed. Yeah, I've seen the weather, uh, which makes you glad that you're in a cinema all, all the time and not being shot with bolts of lightning uh, throughout the whole week. It does look like an absolute. Uh, it looks horrific for the week. Well, I can tell you, there's going to be some lightning that you can look forward to. Oh yeah. And that's the lightning I've animated in the new feature film, Chuck Steele, Night of the Trampires. Which is having its international <laughs> debut at Hennessy. Which I found out just after I absolutely confirmed I wasn't going to go. Well, I'll make sure I'm there. I'll punch the sky. I'll whoop. I'll cheer. I'll clap when the lightning's happening. So, yeah, don't you worry about it. I'll represent. Many thanks. This program is confusing <laughs> as shit. It says it will play on Thursday the 16th of June... At 11.15 in the evening. Yeah. It also says it will play on the 23rd of March and the 20th of April at the same time. That's in the past. (laughs) Or the future. I don't know. I was under the impression it was going to get three screenings because they they put that on their Facebook today. But um, I'm not sure if this is actually a website glitch or if... um, No, I've I've got June. I've not got uh, any kind of time travel on my, uh, my version here. Tuesday the 12th at uh, 11 o'clock, Wednesday the 13th at 11 o'clock, and Friday the 15th at 10 o'clock. Those are going to be absolutely electric in there, aren't they? Not just because of the lightning, ha-ha, but uh, going to be the atmosphere there is going to be fantastic, isn't it? Well, people are going to be pissed and hysterical. Uh, well, that's what I mean. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think Annecy, that Annecy hysteria would be a good pairing for this film. I don't know why it said that on the page I was looking at, uh, but there you go. Mm. We've amended that rift in time. Uh, yeah, quite a lot of interesting stuff this year. There's a lot of MIFA stuff I think I'm probably more aware of, like what Cartoon Network's doing. Uh, they're doing some stuff. A panel, I think, with women in animation. Yeah. Uh, I know that Brazil is a big presence at Annecy this year. Mm. Sort of a shame, because one of the other things that I was hoping might get into like the, the commission competition was a Brazilian preschool series I worked on, directed by a woman. So really, Annecy, if you're really being loyal to your themes, you should have included it. <laughs> Some great-looking you know, special presentations, midnight specials. A lot of VR stuff this year as well, which is nice. And loads of companies showing the faces which you wouldn't necessarily have 
thought had a face. I'm, I'm talking about Netflix, basically. Because mm. uh, there's sort of a mystery around their kind of um, operation, I suppose is the way of putting it. Um, but there's a studio focus on the Tuesday, which looks uh, quite interesting. Netflix animation from award-winning kids and uh, family series to exciting anime and irrelevant adult animation. Is there such a thing as exciting anime, Ben? <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, was that irrelevant or irreverent? Uh, irreverent. No, it's, it's called uh, being rubbish at reading. That's what it's called. <laughs> yes, irreverent. Well, yes, and you can go there and hear the vice president of Kids and Family Entertainment Oh, the director of original series content acquisition's going to be there. Get your autograph books ready. <laughs> I like, they've all got, um, I mean, the one that I'm looking is uh, all of their faces are blanked out. So they're still sticking to that Netflix <laughs> sort of like faceless. It'll be there and it'll be like three men in suits who look exactly the same. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure these people, I mean, these are obviously going to be the people who have the insight yeah. into the commissioning side of things. Maybe they could have thrown in some people who actually made shows well i think andy coyle who's on the the panel for this he's uh the director of uh hilda isn't he ah yeah i i rescind my glib remark <laughs> <laughs> i see you mentioned vr stuff google spotlight stories are going to be back yeah um which is cool i wonder if they're gonna be there with the oh yeah the new nexus vr thing which was great the uh fx goby georges melier film did you see that one i didn't see it in i saw obviously i didn't see it in vr so i'm looking forward to seeing it in vr in the festival as well so that should be pretty cool yeah you can get a pretty good approximation if you put the phone in the 3d glasses thing oh yeah i was doing it the other day with something actually with my math stereoscopic cardboard vr viewer thing ah if only i had hundreds of boxes of those left <laughs> uh it's not like 100 percent immersive but it's like you know it's 3d and it it yeah, follows your head movement, you know, well enough. So that's, uh, uh, but that no, it's a great little film. Um, love the music. Nice. Um, uh, FX Gobi has been very prolific mm. these days. He did a live action thing as well that was also very good. Uh, the name of which escapes me, but I'm sure it will be easy enough to track down. There's an interesting thing here: uh, Gymnasia, the uh, virtual reality stop motion animation. I think that's going to be an interesting thing to. To see in VR, a little bit stop motion. Is that? Did they just like take like a shitload of cameras? Absolutely no idea. I mean, I, I, I spoke to Tim Allen when he he talked about making the uh, the VR um, Isle of Dogs, and mm-hmm. and that was done like um, in segments. So uh, it filmed in in like you know segments of a pizza or segments of a pie or whatever. Um, but I've, I've absolutely no idea whether they'd do it, whether they'd hide under the camera or they'd take away a wall and put it back. But I would imagine segments is probably the way to do it, isn't it? I expect so. Uh, but yeah, it seems interesting. Uh, Gymnasia, a deep dive into stop motion animation in virtual reality. Uh, so that's the guys um, from Hen- uh, Clyde Henry Productions uh, and uh, Felix and Paul Studios in conjunction with our friends at the National Film Board of Canada. So uh, it should be an interesting one. Did you see the Clyde Henry presentation last year? I did not, know. Oh, it was fun. They're funny guys. Yeah. Have you seen those the films they did with the pigeons? Uh, which ones were those? Oh, uh, what are they called? They have these... Oh, it's on my... Okay, it's called We Eat Shit. <laughs> um, and the other one's called We Drink Too Much. So you can find those on my... I just think they're cute and funny. Mm. And just bizarre. 
their output is pretty bizarre in general. They did uh, Madame Tootly Pootly many moons ago, mm. and the Where the Wild Things Are-esque puppet film, uh, Higgledy Piggledy Pop. Right. And Koshimar, which I saw at the first Annecy I went to. I'm assuming there's going to be, uh, as there always tends to be, a big Disney or Pixar or both premiere or work in process or, or preview there's, or some kind of thing. There's a big or both. They've got Ralph Breaks the Internet, Wreck-It Ralph 2, and they've got Incredibles 2 uh, as well. So, uh, yeah, Disney and, and Pixar can be quite busy this year, as they always are, which would be nice. Mm-hmm. Now, are they, are they like finished film premieres? Ralph Breaks the Internet is uh, first footage, basically. Okay. So uh, I don't think we're going to see the full film. It's due out in uh, Thanksgiving in America. So, uh, But The Incredibles is a screening event. So there you go. French yeah. preview. So, uh, yeah, that's what they call films when they're not allowed to call them premieres. So, yeah, preview. Mm. So I've seen it before the premiere. Two uh, sequels that people actually seem pretty optimistic about. Justifiably so, I'd say. I'm really looking forward to them both. I, you know, um, Disney don't do many sequels, uh, and I'm so glad to see Wreck-It Ralph get a sequel. And The Incredibles. I mean, how many Cars films have we waited for to see <laughs> Incredibles sequel? Uh, and here it is. I mean, I, I didn't particularly care for that passive dismissal of <clears throat> such brilliant Disney sequels as The Return of Jafar. <laughs> Or The Lion King Two and a Half, or whatever the f*** they did with that one. Well, me and my big mouth. They were classics in their own right. Return of Jafar, that was a real... It was the the aliens of the franchise. (laughs) Everyone looked forward to it. I was mostly annoyed at how shitty the magic carpet looked. Yes. And what a f***ing awful job that must have been for the p*** who had to 2D animate it. Yeah. To make it look so much shittier than it did in the, in the original film. Yeah, it just looks like a sort of multiple-coloured playing card. And it's uh, mm-hmm. the, it, it, so lavish and golden and, and, and hand-woven in the, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the original film, and then you've got this kind of really cheap version uh, in, in, in the sequel. It was an interesting one. So, yeah, so now we've moved on to the... I mean, I guess it was uh, probably Toy Story 2 that kind of set the bar for the sequel being of comparable quality to the original. Yeah, that's right. Um, although from what I remember, like there was that story that did the rounds a while ago about like how Toy Story 2 was like nearly all deleted Yeah, from a hard drive. And then I found like the full story was actually, that wasn't Toy Story 2 like as released. They were originally going to make like a really shitty straight to video Toy Story 2, like Return to Jafar. And they ended up scrapping that when it was nearly done. Um, and that was the version that nearly got like all deleted. Mm. So it didn't matter that that person saved the film, <laughs> just patting herself on the back. Yeah. <laughs> I saved the return of Jafar of the Toy Story franchise. Good for you. <laughs> no one saw it anyway. Well done. <laughs> she should have been fired for taking stuff home and keeping it on her hard drive. Well, this is before, uh, you know, GDPR, Ben. So, uh, you know, it's quite... Quite all right to do it back back then in the the, uh, the olden days of, of nineteen ninety eight. Did you hear about Circle Seven, the Disney Circle Seven stuff? Is that like one of those circles in boarding school? <clears throat> Similar, I suppose, in many respects, is to, to to what they did to the poor franchises, because obviously Pixar um, create the films, but they it's Disney that 
owned the property to a certain extent because they distributed the film's original. And this is before Disney bought Pixar for, you know, many billions um, quite a while ago now. But uh, they had a secret a secret society uh, of, of uh, artists and writers where they came up with sequels to the Toy Story films. And, and one of them they did was obviously Toy Story 3, which is nothing like the uh, Lee Yunkrich uh, version. Uh, right. And uh, it was the film where the toys revealed to people that they spoke. And Oh, no, you can't do that. Well, I mean, it worked for the first... <laughs> first up the whole point of the film. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it worked slightly in the first one because, you know, it, it, for, for, for uh, Sid and his toys, just for that one moment to make him think he's going nuts. Oh, yeah, yeah. But to have this kind of guy who fixes toys singing and dancing and talking to a toys all the time... Uh, a bit of a stretch, but yeah. But you know, luckily uh, Disney bought um, uh, Pixar, and they didn't have to make uh, those types of films. There you go. This is Animation History Corner with Uncle Steve. I found a bit of animation history about Toy Story Three. Mm. You know the guy who plays Lotso Hagen Bear. Yeah, he's the guy who gets raped in Deliverance. <laughs> well, there you go. Equally charming. Uh, film there. <laughs> you know when your brain just finally makes those connections? <laughs> they should have put in like a dueling banjo scene in Toy Story 3. It's like a sly nod, you know, for the cineasts in the audience. And you just stood up in the cinema and shouted that out while pointing to the screen and all the children in the cinema would have... <laughs> and they have the, the piggy bank as well. They could have thrown in a squeal piggy line, surely. Missed opportunities. It's, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, isn't it? That's what they say. Yeah. But yeah, Incredibles 2 is on the way, um, which I'm really looking forward to. Uh, the trailer looks absolutely fantastic, you know. Um, the, uh, it, it, it's exciting, very exciting to see uh, see what the, what the, the Parr family, or whatever they're called now, uh, have been up to. Um, yeah, and uh, Wreck-It Ralph 2, whilst it doesn't have any... Uh, uh, you know, while it's not full screening, it's uh, it's going to be footage from the new adventures of Ralph and Vanellope. But uh, they've just released a trailer. Have you seen the new trailer, Ben? Uh, I saw, I think, a still from it. That's not the whole thing. It's Vanellope with um, a bunch of other Disney princesses. But yes. I'm not sure if that's from the trailer or just a still from the film or what. It's in the trailer. Well, I haven't uh, seen the whole thing. Shall I whip it up? Let's do one of our famous segments where we watch a trailer and go, ah, mm, mm, right the way through it. Enthusiastic grunts. Yeah, yeah. All right. If I watch this trailer, by the way, and the internet is anything less than broken by the time I'm done, I'm going to be annoyed. No doubt. No Ergonomics. Urban outfitters. Er, cool. I'm pretty sure he's just trying to guess what you're going to say. My autofill is a touch aggressive today. Let me try. Take me to a website that's super intense and really nuts. Oh, I only found one result. Oh, come oh, I see. So they're in the Disneyland of the internet. Basically, yeah. And there's a, yeah, Muppets and Star Wars and uh, Pixar. It's all there. You know, they, they, they okay. So just before that, that reveal, they played this scene of the conversation with the search guy. Yeah, yeah. All they needed to show of that scene in the trailer is her going, "Take me somewhere." Into you know, yeah. yeah. Why do they show the whole scene? It wasn't a very funny scene. Uh, or have I just become so grizzled in my old age? Like it was alright. 
<laughs> Just saying, like, in terms of, like, do they need to fill out a certain number of seconds for the trailer? Maybe. Anyway, Maybe. back to, to Get Disneyland. to the princesses. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Very funny. Cinderella's gonna stab her with the shoe. Princess, are you? Do you have magic hair? No. Magic hands? No. Do animals talk to you? No. Were you poisoned? No. Cursed? No. Kidnapped or enslaved? No. Are you guys okay? Should I call the police? Do people assume all your problems got solved because a big strong man showed up? Yes. What is up with that? She is a princess. Ah, very. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Shouldn't it be Ralph wrecks the internet? Yeah, since he is wreck it, Ralph. Uh, yeah, but break the internet—it's like a thing. Right? It's just wreck the internet. Kind of sounds better, doesn't it? Mm, you're not wrong. All right. There you go. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be a great film. I, I didn't particularly care for that trailer structurally. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean the the princess scene again like they just did like a sort of truncated version of the whole scene you know yeah trailer editing very rarely represents the movie well um it looks pretty um i'm sure you know people who are big big disney fans are going to get a kick out of it as well so i don't know is is, has there's the idea then that like they've left the video game realm so they're not going to be any like video game references one assumes so. I mean, the, in the earlier trailer, there was there was that um, uh, they, they did play on on the video game, um, you know, iPad kind of game joke um, with the feeding the pancakes to the bunny rabbit kind of game. Right. Uh, and so they, I think it's probably still going to be there. But this trailer looks like a very kind of Disney can take the Mickey out of itself trailer and a a bit of a look. It's about the internet, you know. As I said, all your favorite. You know, evil corporations are here. Um, it's yeah. It, there, there you go. I, I I think the films. I still think the film's going to be great. You know, you can't really judge uh, a film really by its trailer, and I'm sure there's a lot more to come. Uh, but as you say, the Disney fans are going to absolutely love this with the uh, the the princesses who look slightly different, obviously to uh, to there. But the carpet's there, Ben. Did you see the carpet? All animated in its full glory. It's thread count intact. <laughs> But also, yeah. it was it was like ninety percent of the focus wasn't on Ralph, either. So, like, yeah. and the dynamic in the first film was like a lovely sort of like ensemble dynamic of Ralph and the Mario esque character, and then the woman from the military game. Like, yeah. they all bounced off each other really well. So, I guess this is like presumably just Ralph and the little girl. Um, yeah. I think that first film was absolutely superb. There's some some absolutely beautiful moments in it. And you can you can portion that film up into uh, little like five ten minute segments, and you'll just you could watch it alone and be absolutely in stitches or in tears. Uh, there's there's a scene that I uh, I always go back to where the scene where Vanellope meets Ralph and the tone of it and the sound of it uh, in in terms of the music and stuff. It's basically a Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd, mm-hmm. you know, mess around scene uh, where she's just, you know, really relaxed and so comfortable and just taking the mickey out of this pompous character who just, you know, has a very dogmatic vision. Really funny stuff. 
and it's when I when I do I do lectures on emotions in animation, and I always play the scene where Ralph breaks the car, and I play it next to the scene in Bambi. Uh, <laughs> and I think more people are emotionally drained at the Wreck It Ralph scene than they are, than they are at, at the scene in Bambi. Yeah. Um, as emotionally drained as most people are at the end of my lectures. And uh, in the meantime, well, actually, uh, we can talk a bit about this episode's guest who has a film playing in Annecy seven times. It's playing every day in uh, competition screening three, three times on Wednesday. There you go. It's called Animal Behavior by Alison Snowden and David Fine. First new film in 20 years, which uh, I was quite surprised when I read that because I was like, well, I, I know it's been a while, but Jesus, could, could that film be that old? Yeah. The previous film, the Oscar-winning film called Bob's Birthday, it's very evergreen. It really holds up. Oh, oh yeah. Of course, like Bob and Margaret, the TV show came in the interim. That almost feels older in my head, weirdly. But there you go. Alison and David go back a very long way. They met at the NFTS in the early 80s. They were there when Nick Park was there. And uh, a lot of other very sort of accomplished people were also studying there at the time. Uh, they go into it in a minute. They were part of a very strong crowd. And uh, they've gone on to do some amazing stuff. Um, just the fact that they actually got an adult animated sitcom that was set in Britain to last more than a season. Yeah. Can you think of anyone else that did that? Well, this is it, isn't it? it, it I mean, I, I'm absolutely delighted that when you said that we managed to get them on, on the show, because when we first started this podcast, those guys were up there. You know, and we had the imaginary list in our head of the people that we wanted to to interview, uh, you know, the people that we wanted to get on. Uh, Bob's birthday is one of those one of those absolute breakthrough films for me. Absolutely love it. It just captures so much of sort of middle class, middle aged English sort of sensibility. It's just and that sort of that perfect embarrassment that you can only feel if you're British or in a in a relationship of it's just such a such a, a simple gag, just told so lavishly and 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 and, and wonderfully. Um, and as you say, Bob and Margaret uh, lasting more than one season, <laughs> which you know is uh, is worth celebrating as well. Which continued that line as well. I mean, you, you watch the, the the episodes of Bob and Margaret, and there's there's very little missing. Usually, when you get a, a successful short film. And then it gets translated into a TV series or, or something like that. So much gets changed. So much goes missing. Uh, but in Bob and Margaret, it really kind of retained that um, feel, didn't it? Yeah. It, it almost serves as a kind of pilot, you know, in terms of the, the consistency yeah. of the design style and the feel of it. And, you know, you don't feel like they're characters that have been redeveloped in the interim. You know, you feel like you're staying with the same couple. And the sh I mean, the, the film goes, you know, it, it covers a lot of ground in 10 minutes uh, as far as, you know, like you say, that sort of people who are just trying, just getting along, keeping up with the Joneses, living their lives. The show would really go into things like when the show came out, it was a little above my head, in all honesty. I, I thought it was funny, but I didn't appreciate it. And I watched it all the way through a few years ago when it was, I think, made it to Netflix briefly. And 
Yeah. You really do appreciate it a lot more, I think. The social hierarchies of those sort of small enclosed neighborhoods, the things that keep you up at night after a certain age, you know? <laughs> Lovely little musings on, like, waning sexuality or um, rekindling sex lives. Um, yeah, it was just, it was great. Just a very warm show. Uh, so this is a film called Animal Behavior. It's about a group therapy session. It's a bunch of animals being therapized by a therapist dog. And it's lovely little character concepts. The, it's a leech with separation anxiety, for example. Mm-hmm. And the main sort of, uh, I guess, character in the film is this begrudging ape who doesn't want to be there. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's sort of fighting, I guess, his, his own animal instinct. That's that's basically the meat of the film. I don't want to. I couldn't really explain it more without giving out away some of the gags and stuff. And yeah, it's really um, it's come out of the gate with a bang. It's got f- four major festival screenings in I think the span of a month. Uh, it's at Anima Fest Zagreb this week, which I'm also pretty uh, envious of. I have to say, I was at Zagreb last year as part of the jury. It was a lovely festival, and I was really hoping I'd be able to go this year. Maybe with a film of my own. Unfortunately, my film didn't get done until after the deadline. There's no guarantee it would get in anyway, but, you know, maybe next year I'll be able to go back. But it looks like a really cool program this year. They've got, like, a big horror theme. Mm. Uh, they're doing a big exhibition of Robert Morgan's stuff. He's gathered together all sorts of his puppets and that, uh, yeah, I'm a little I'm a little bit jealous. Uh, but, yes, anyway, uh, Animal Behavior is screening in competition. Uh, I think probably... One of them will have already happened, but it's also screening on the 8th, uh, which is this week. Then to Annecy, uh, the screenings that we mentioned, will be playing all week from the 11th to the 15th. Then on to Edinburgh, and then in July, it's at Anima Mundi. Uh, so yeah, it's a pretty good start. Well, people will absolutely love it. I mean, I loved it. I thought it's it's just a nice... Uh, yeah, films can be so heavy, can't they? When you go to festivals, there's such a, a wide variety of you know mind-boggling stuff, and then... I can picture this nestled nicely within a program as a nice kind of just a beautiful thing to spend 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes with. Uh, it's just, uh, uh, you know, just, just open the door, enter the therapist's office and just enjoy yourself. It's really nice. Yeah. Well, especially at a, a place like Annecy, which we've never really held back when it's come to reviewing the official selections. You know, and I, you know, I think they do a fine job with the festival, but it is a very, there's a consistency to the Annecy official selection that makes films like this that have levity and have like humor really appreciated. Yeah. You do need a few of these to come along and break things up a bit because there's only so many times you can watch the same loop of some man smashing a kid over at rock, you know? (laughs) Yeah. It's a little oasis in a desert, isn't it? It's really nice. So yeah, uh, Alison and David, like I say, they've been around for a long time. They've been involved in, to varying degrees, with some of the biggest British IPs outside of their own. They were heavily involved in the development of Shaun the Sheep and Peppa Pig. They were involved in a lot of the early years, um, as they will explain. Uh, they're based in Canada these days. Still at it, thanks to uh, the continued interest of the NFB. You know, the NFB are always looking to the future, and they have all these schemes in place for... Uh, new artists and new visions and they're very big on gender parity going forward 
they definitely look to the future, but it's great that they also look back at the people that really helped define what it is they are. Yes. Um, so it's wonderful to have more work by people like Paul Dreesen and um, Cordell Barker uh, and these guys, you know. Um, I look forward to um, Janet Perlman's another one. I did stuff you look forward to, Toro Cove, just listing names now. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, let's hear from uh, Alison Snowden and David Fine, directors of Animal Behavior. We do an awful lot of stuff uh, on the NFTS um, and it's great to learn about the sort of legacy of the NFTS and um, I gather you guys actually met there. That's right, we met in the first year. Uh, we went both went there to be actually live action directors yeah. and spent the first, well, first three years studying live action, making short films there. And, and then we just made Second Class Mail at the end. I had some uh, money left in my budget not enough for a live action, but enough to make a short animated film. So um, David was encouraging me to make another animated film. I sort of thought, oh, I don't want to do animation, I want to do live action. But then um, I did definitely want to make another film. So, yeah, we kind of whipped off this film, Second Class Mail. I think we, we, a quickly, a, quite a short schedule for a, for a short film, which was three months, I think. And um, and then that took off. Yeah, because other students at the film school spent their whole like four years making their films, and so they were like, "What the heck? You come in here for three months, you make a film." But also, both Allison and I had backgrounds in animation prior, so although we were studying at the NFTS in live action, we were always drawn to that department, and our our best friends were in that department. You know, um, Nick Park was in our year. Uh, Followed that, Mark Baker, Joan Ashworth, Tony Collingwood. Like, there's a great group of really talented filmmakers that uh, uh, that we worked alongside or, or hung out with, I should say. Um, and uh, and so it seemed like at the end of the course, it felt like this is a great opportunity to use the equipment and make a film. We should just do this. So that's what Allison means when I said I encouraged us. I thought once we leave film school, you don't have all this equipment, so this is we should use it and just try and, and, and make a film. And who gets Nick Park to work on their short film? <laughs> he, did, he did all the animation for me. Colouring, <laughs> yeah. There are not many people these days, certainly. Not yeah. these days. No. <laughs> oh, so amazing. it was good times. And Mark, and Mark worked on it. Oh, he did, he yeah. did, yeah. At least did you work with Mark a bit in television after that? I uh, wrote a couple of scripts for him on Peppa Pig, and uh, our daughter, actually, I think she was partly the inspiration for that character cause she, because she was five and Mark was writing it, really, for preschool for around that age. And she was very funny and silly and talked a lot. So we got lots of material. I did anyway. And it, my scripts were based on events that had happened with her just because I knew what a five-year-old liked to do and some of the issues at that age. So, um, yeah, and then, uh, and then our daughter Lily uh, did the original voice of Peppa Pig. Uh, for the first 52 episodes. For the first 52. Yeah, I was sort of fascinated. I saw on the news a little while ago, because whenever there's a sort of lead character, but the character is pre-adolescent, you've got to rotate the actors when the voice breaks. But apparently, like, the current one, her voice broke, like, 10 years ago, but they still kept her on. Like, she can still do the voice. 
crazily. Just yeah. Yes. Well, we moved to Vancouver. Um, mm. Yeah, we had no idea what the success would be of Peppa Pig at that time because it was kind of a pilot series. Mm-hmm. So we moved here. So Lily desperately wanted to fit in. So she she had a North American accent quite quickly. Uh-huh. But um, she almost sounded like at the beginning she kind of sounded a bit too much American because she really wanted to sound mm-hmm. Canadian. So mm-hmm. she was because she hated that people went, oh, you've got that cute English accent. We love that. So she would like cringe. Like and a wanna... full version, like a six-year-old cowboy. Yeah, so, you know, and it just wasn't practical for her to continue with it. But we're really proud of the work that she did in that first series. And, and uh, Allison worked with her to get the... Uh, you know, to, to read her the lines because no, she, she was too read. young to read at that time. Yeah, and then Allison wrote some of the some of the initial scripts too. So yeah, we worked with him. Uh, well, in that case, our daughter and Allison, I had nothing to do with Peppa Pig, uh, but we've also animated with Mark on some um, TV commercials years back that uh, that he did. So we, you know, and we're good friends, really good friends. He's a best friend, yeah. as is Nick. That's great to hear, and it's great that they're still you know going very strong. Yeah, it's a nice sort of area of I think the British industry that seems kind of indefatigable. What you know, Ashley Baker Davis and that lot of kept going, and that it's had such a kind of international reach is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, it's unbelievable, yeah. As you said, your film, your NFTS film, it took off. Uh, were you still quite keen to pursue live action, or did that kind of turn your attitude around? Or we kept for a while thinking, oh, we really want to do live action. Even though we were getting these offers, we got an offer at the National Film Board to make another short film after Second Class Mail because they were doing this series of films about old people for old people. And that suddenly made, we we felt pigeonholed. So we kept getting these opportunities and obviously that was the most, you know, that was easier for us, most successful. So after a while, actually, after making Bob's Birthday, we we yeah I think we stopped pining after live action because that was we started using dialogue and real um, relationships and we you know we could write we could write a proper script like a live action so I think that helped. Yeah, there came a point when we just said, you know what, we do animation and that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have to get up at three in the morning to do a night shoot in the rain. Yeah. But yeah, as Allison says, once we kind of moved from very simple animation to more narrative-driven stories that were, I mean, Bob and Margaret has more of a kind of live-action feel because it's real people, uh, it's narrative story, it's character, it's dialogue, then that satisfied our urges in a way, our filmmaking urges in a way. So, you know, an animal behavior, of course, is uh, is also uh, a very narrative comedy with dialogue I think we enjoy. I think we realized our passion was really writing and writing dialogue mostly, so we were able to satisfy that. Absolutely. So with the, the first NFB film, did you write it then, or was it sort of, were you given a, a theme to stick to? It was very broad. There was okay. just like, we want to make a film. We want you to make a film that is about elderly people, but for elderly people too. So we did the research. We looked into what kind of areas interest uh, elderly people. 
Well, we would how we could make a story that would be fun. Because we were told, oh, everyone thinks elderly people just want to watch travelogues and films with love stories. So we want you to do the research and find out really what And we, and we don't want you to just do these cliches. Hmm. So we went to an old people's home, maybe more than one. More than one. And we found they were all dating each other. They were very involved. And they really like to watch travelogues as well. And that's what we watched all day. So basically... That's what they like. So we wrote a, a story that involved a bit of traveling or a, a fantasy of traveling and was a really a love story. Because mm -hmm. we, we found that, um, you know, there was a lot of cheekiness in the care homes. You know, they, the women would be talking about, oh, this guy is always pinching bums and so forth. And so it seemed like, oh, there's this whole romantic cheekiness going on that they're really interested in. So it felt nice to kind of assert that older people have romantic interests still. It was a very simple notion, but that's what inspired George and Rosemary. But we had no pinching bums in it. No. Yeah. No pinching bums. So from that point, you, you carried on working with the NFB again for Bob's birthday. Did you do stuff with them in the interim? No, we didn't. And in fact... Bob's birthday, you know, the, it was initiated with Channel 4, and then Channel 4 had this notion that, hey, you know, one of us is British, one of us is Canadian, why don't we use that to get a co-production with the NFB? And so Channel 4 approached the NFB, and uh, we ended up co-producing with the NFB, and, you know, that turned out to be a really positive uh, thing, because the support we got was fabulous, and not only in in making, mostly to do with the post-production on the film, because um, we shot it all, all the artwork in, in Montreal, and did the mix and everything, but also in the way that they handled distribution of the film and everything, which was really good. Hmm. We made a film before that, though, with a kind of decouser grant called In and Out. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Squeeze that one in between. Actually, we'd worked on that before... George and Rosemary, wasn't it? Yeah, and then we, we put it on hold. Because we'd just been students, penniless students, and we got this small grant to make a short film. So we were already begun work on that when we got the call from the film board to do uh, a proper job. And so we had to stop that for a while and then came back to it after George and Rosemary. So it looks like it should have come after St. Class Mail, really. Hmm. That makes sense. Style-wise, mm. idea-wise, you know, because there's no dialogue and it's really just it has more similarities. Yeah, I can see that. Bob's birthday was quite dialogue-heavy. That kind of very domestic relatability of, of that film, do you recall what sort of inspired that, like making a film with that sort of tone to it? Well, you know, when we were making uh, George and Rosemary... Uh, there was a film that the NFB had just made that changed everything in our lives <laughs> and inspired us. And that was the big snit. So we just loved the comedy and the dynamic and the relationship. It was a couple and they were arguing and, and it was, you know, comedic, very animated, but very real and relatable and silly. And so we thought, that's, I don't, we didn't want to make a big snip, but we felt inspired by that uh, approach to things. That's, I think, what, what, yeah, what, say, what drove us to... Well, to have dialogue, to, because we had, cause even with George and Rosemary, it was a voiceover, there was no dialogue. So we just thought, oh, it would be great to write 
right, characters that argue and and have angst and and then some personal things happened in our lives that inspired that story. So it, it began. And we actually came to the, the Channel 4 with a completely different, because Claire Kitson, who was running Channel 4's animation at that time, you know, invited us to pitch an idea. And, and we came up with something. It was a completely different film. And she liked it. And she was, like, going to finance it. And then we were going, oh, we don't like where this is going. And so we, we came to her and said, Claire, we have a totally different idea. Can we change it? <laughs> and that was Bob's birthday. And we were so worried about that script because we thought, oh, it could be just seen as a, you know, one of those old British farces because the guy with his pants off and just like that one joke. So how can we distract from that? So we worked so hard to make the rest of the film you know, as entertaining as we could and it's more about middle-aged angst and all of that so it wouldn't just feel like oh just it's this joke and that's that like a cheap shot yeah but you know with comedy you, you really don't know when you're making it where the laughs are going to come if there's going to be any laughs will people get this at all and so you just hope for the best really mm. and at the time was there any sort of thoughts of the characters having a lifespan beyond the film no, not at all. In fact, the idea of a TV series would be—it was terrifying to us, even after we'd made it. When people approached, because when we just finished it, it was the time of The Simpsons, um, and people suddenly uh, wanted adult animation. So Channel Four, were, you know, were really interested, and others. And we were—we thought we can't write a whole. Um, series like we can barely write one script it seems to take us so long to write like 15 minutes how are we going to write these half hour stories so we were doing everything to put people off which seems absurd because everyone's trying to chase these things now and try and get funding but but we were the opposite um, but in the end we just thought well we should try it we shouldn't be so pathetic and uh, I actually found it easier because the thing mm. with the short film is it's so precious and you spend so long on it, so many years, you're always, it has to be perfect. You've got one shot at it, whereas with a series you can just say, okay, these are the characters and then they can have all these different things happen to them. So it's not all on, on, on one idea. Yeah, and when you're doing a, a series, you know, like Alison says, the short film, you really care about every little tiny detail and we did in the series as well but but you take a view you look at the big picture you move to the next episode you've got a kind of process that has to be met so you write a script and when, when it's time to for it to be finished it is and in a way that's what inspires to go back to making a short film after so long now because we kind of long to do something where we could take the time to hone it and really be con in control of it and draw it ourselves, animate it ourselves. And that's a very different process. And sometimes that process can drive you crazy because it's so insular and, and obsessive. But on the other hand, it is nice, like as an artist, to, to create something and really uh, control all the details, every corner of the image, every nuance of the, the recording and, and everything. Mm. Did something happen sort of during Bob and Margaret where the production circumstances shifted a bit? So I know there was like a location change. <laughs> yes. The first two series, you know, were London-based and the stories were consistent with the short. And we were very, very protective of making the series 
feel uh, as much like the the short as possible because there was pressures when it was being developed to say, well, why don't you change it to this or then maybe they have a family or whatever. So we kept it quite consistent with the, the what we felt the short to be about. And then for financing reasons, series three and four, the production company said, well, we can keep making the show if the characters move to Canada so that the stories are Canadian. So they had to actually emigrate to Canada, which was an interesting, you know, take on things anyway. And so that's what happened. I'm reminded of like a, something Peter Law brings up quite a lot when he does talks is the times they kind of have to turn things down or they don't do something that they want to do because of, you know, some factor that comes in and something that he says is almost impossible to sell in North America is British mediocrity and how that can be funny. <laughs> yeah, you know, what's funny is is Bob and Margaret was a, very much about bored couple, mm-hmm. British, what you, the term you use is, is a good one, British mediocrity. That's why there was pressure for us to liven it up and give them children and do all kinds but, of things. But we stuck to, to what it was, and it was actually really successful. Um, yeah, the funny thing is it was way more successful in North America than back in Britain because mm-hmm. it did really well here in, America, in the States. was getting great ratings, everything, and in Canada. And so we thought, oh, it's going to do super well like once it gets to the UK because that's kind of really Because it aired first here. And Channel 4, for some reason, decided that their audience didn't want to watch a middle-aged couple. And then so they put it all over the schedule and it didn't. It never really gained a good audience there. So that was disappointing yeah. and it, surprising. We had gr- great reviews in the UK for the series. But I remember it came on a Sunday night, I believe. And then next week it wasn't on. And then next week it came back on, but at a different time. So it never kind of... It, it didn't build up an audience. Yeah. So, uh, whereas in, in, in America, it was on Comedy Central, and it was their number two rated show just after South Park. So, it was quite huge. And in Canada, it was the top rated Canadian TV show of any kind, including live action. It seemed, yeah, it seemed like American audiences maybe were just sort of more receptive to, you know, an adult sitcom or a sitcom that was accessible to adults, maybe, because it, I can't really think of a British adult animated sitcom that ever landed, mm-hmm. and the networks very rarely do anything to help, and it's it's not very common, but there's a very small handful of times I can think of in the last 10 years where a British sitcom, an animated sitcom, has sort of gotten off the ground. It's almost immediately stomped out by scheduling... Mm-hmm just a complete lack of faith in it from a marketing perspective. And it's a shame because so even the really good shows that exist in the world take like about 10 episodes to get really good. I mean, they can be a good first 10 episodes, but they, once you've worked out all the dynamics and you're familiar with the characters and the settings, the first seasons of a lot of brilliant shows are usually quite ropey. And so it's a shame when things are just kind of extinguished before they can Mm -hmm. become something. But great that, you know, there was a good solid run of Bob and Margaret that did find an audience. And I I have to say, like, the first time around I was aware of it, I was probably too young. But watching it within the last sort of five years and suddenly all of these issues about, like, home insurance, they're all suddenly quite, you know, relevant and it holds up very well. Uh, and a lot of fun. And you did the voice of Margaret? Margaret. I was lovely. I like and, to do that voice, but... 
we kind of auditioned different actresses. And the thing we found at the time, I'm sure it's changed, but British actresses, they don't want to sound panicky and nervous. You have a hard time telling them, just like stutter and get things wrong. And Because it was important that the Margaret character was kind of out of control, very, uh, very kind of nervous, you know, with the film anyway. Because otherwise, why wouldn't she just say, hey, everyone, this isn't going to work out. He's got his pants off, whatever. But, of course, she's completely frozen like a deer in headlights. She doesn't know what the hell to do or how to control the situation. So you needed to have that in the acting. So um, we couldn't find that. So it was a kind of desperate move to use me. I don't think David was that keen on it. Well, <laughs> you know, for some reason I had this notion that by defaulting to Allison, we were not... We're giving up. We were giving up on finding a real actress. Having said that, I think it turned out really great. Uh, it sometimes didn't help our relationship because I directed her, and sometimes I would be, drive her crazy with, with wanting to do something again with a little different nuance. And because, like Hitchcock. Yeah. <laughs> really traumatized. Yeah, I wasn't as abusive as I hear he was, but... <laughs> I can never take a shower again. <laughs> I look at birds. One thing, uh, quickly, before we go on to uh, the new film, uh, that I also noticed that uh, you guys are involved in um, developing Sean the Sheep and um, Timmy. Well, we worked with Argman for quite some time before we moved to Vancouver, and, and we were also developing our own series, which happened. So we moved to making our own show, uh, which was the Ricky Sprocket kids show. But, um, yeah, it was a lot of fun working with uh, Ardman on that. That development period was over quite a while, and the, the way it was pitched for which audience changed during the process, so they would go to a market and get some feedback to say, well, we need to make it like this, and so everything would change. So it was a, it was a process. But at one point, we, we created a little character for, for him called Timmy, and uh, we're very pleased that he's taken Still off and, and has his own show. <laughs> so, um, looking at the press notes, I guess it's been 20 years since the last film. Yeah. What brought you and the NFB back together again? Oh, well, a producer there, he's also a friend, Michael Fukushima, he just asked, it, well, I asked David, actually, because David was at a festival and I wasn't, if we'd be interested in making a short film. And at first we thought, oh, no, we don't want to go back to that life because, you know, it's hard work. But then we thought, oh, with the new technology that we could draw into the computer and do all the, the painting in digitally, maybe that would be interesting to learn those programs. And, and also we hadn't been animating in all that time. I mean, very short things, but we hadn't really been animating, but we'd been directing people. So we just thought it's about time we did that ourselves. Yeah, and we kind of had an inspiration for an idea. So we came back to him and said, you know, maybe we would like to do a short film. You know, it's funny because Alice says the new technologies. It wasn't new to anybody Anything else but right. us. Because the last time we made a film, it was cell paint and cells and shooting under the camera. And, and we thought, uh, we dreamed of, we hated all that stuff because it, it's so difficult tedious. to work with and tedious we dreamed of the day when you would be able to do what we can do now digitally and but we still wanted it to look traditional 
So we used uh, TV paint software, and of course we're drawing on Cintiq, so there's no paper, and you have the undo key, which is my best friend, and... Um, no fingerprints, you don't need to wear gloves. You don't need to wear gloves. <laughs> so that was nice to, to work with that and to be drawing, and the other thing is we thought with computer technology it must be more efficient, but it isn't. It takes just as long, if not longer, because you have went you know, so many opportunities to open up a scene and make changes and fixes. So for obsessive people like us, it's uh, very scary. Hmm. Well, not scary. You, you just get really interested in all of it. It's like a magpie being attracted to shiny things. You see all these little buttons <laughs> and all these amazing things it can do. So it's very distracting. Well, I mean scary in the way that it makes it take a long time instead of you, you don't just do your scene and go, that's it, it's done. Because, if, you know, with paper, you're not going to just take out that paper and keep revising it. It's impractical, but you can. Hmm. Were you using digital processes for Ricky Sprocket? That was made in Flash, but we didn't do any of the animation because it was done by a team of people other people. But we, we wrote scripts and did some, you know, design and, and directed it with a, a director we were working with by the name of Josh Meffham, who was uh, great to work with. Uh, and it was, it's exciting when you do a series because there's so much other talent that's brought to bear on your idea. And that's fantastic because we can't do everything. And I don't mean that in the sense that we can't do everything because there isn't time. I mean, skill level, we have our areas where we're really good, but other people bring their skills and and we uh, and it's very exciting to have that added to what we're trying to achieve. So it's a lot of fun. And it liberated our writing because we could write crowd scenes and these incredible, you know, fairs with all kinds of things going on that we wouldn't have to animate. And so it does intimidate. When, when they loved it. The crew were like, "Whoa, this will be amazing!" And we're like, "Yeah, that's great because you're doing all the work." It really, we did realize with TV series, and this was way, way back with Bob and Margaret even, where we would write a script, and if we were going to animate it, it would have a very direct impact on how we wrote, because you would think, oh, I'm not going to animate that, so no. <laughs> Whereas when someone else is going to, who cares? We'll just write an uh, airplane disaster episode, which there is. No, and they would love it. That's, that's their speciality. So for this film, then, uh, I'm assuming not Flash. No, t that's the TV Paint software. Yeah, how do you find TV Paint? We found it fantastic. I mean, it took a learning curve to learn how to use, and it was had its own quirks like any software. So when we started working on it, I'd be like, ah, I can't make it do this. How does it do that? But there's a fantastic user forum run by TV Paint, which I availed myself of a lot and got answers. And by, you know, eventually... Uh, became quite proficient in it, and we really love it. It's it's a, it's amazing software. And uh, story-wise, then for the film, had this idea been sitting around until the opportunity to make the film came along, or was it something? Oh, it was an idea. You know, we have these odd ideas in a drawer or whatever. Like, as you come up with them, and we, I think we were sort of trying to think of an idea for a series, and. And then the thing, you know, it wouldn't work. You couldn't do hundreds of these, so <coughs> it was just sort of a half idea that we put to the side. But then, then when we got asked if we'd like to make a film, we sort of went through, 
you know, all the stuff we had, and that one jumped out as actually it would make a really good short film because the, we liked the idea a lot. We just didn't think it could translate into multiple stories. And you had said before, like that um, short idea that you were working on. Oh, yeah, a long time ago. Because I'd been to like a group therapy session about confidence building. Mm. And I found that uh, really fascinating, all the different people there and what would get spoken about. There's one thing where you have to say affirmations and hold a mirror in front of you and say, I love you, and, and not be able to cringe, which is impossible. <laughs> <laughs> and I wanted to make a sort of a film about that, like a character that's really trying to like herself and going through all that. But again, it was sort of, you know, a bit half-baked, didn't end up becoming a, a, a film, a short film idea. Um, but it, but it, I had always wanted to make an idea in that, based on that situation. And and we had been working on an animated sketch show idea that never went anywhere, called, oddly enough, called Human Nature, which was about human dysfunction. But there was some stuff with animals in it. And so that was kind of like a jumping off point. We thought we could take this in a different direction. And, and uh, we, we liked the idea of um, animals that were trying to deal with what comes naturally to them uh, in, in social situations. So whether or not they needed to change and improve themselves to adapt better or whether what comes naturally to them is who they are and other people should accept them for what they are in the way that one does in the animal world. So apes, you know, are aggressive and throw their shit around and, and that's what they are. And, you know, leeches are leeches. They leech. So that's what they are. Um, and it's that sort of nature or nurture discussion and that it's very hard to change. You know, why do people do the things they do? Maybe it's just something inherent in our nature. Why hmm. Why we have wars or whatever, you know. We're always sort of grappling with that idea. And, you know, we're much less hard on animals. Like, they do really mean things. They, you know, some of those birds are like real assholes or whatever, like crows, hmm. the kind of things they do. But we, but we just say, okay, that's that's what they do. You know, cats eat mice, whatever. But we're not like that about people. We're outraged. Hmm. And um, we thought the idea of exploring a group therapy session and suggesting that there's some conflict between the notion of whether this is a process that is helpful and supportive or whether it's about you know navel gazing and too much introspection and not just sort of dealing with it and get on getting on with your life so we had those kind of themes fighting against each other in in the storyline so that in the end the resolution suggests one thing or another without giving the whole story away but we didn't want to come down on one side or the other we want to present ideas and sort of leave it out there hmm. So was that like a conscious process as far as selecting what types of animals would be included? Well, it wasn't a conscious thing in that we have to have this animal or mm. another. We were just trying to think of the animals and the issues they might have and which would work better visually. We started at one point with a heron as a bird and 
and a chameleon uh, that was always concerned, he was always trying to fit in with everything and just had no identity of his own. So we liked that idea, but then in doing the storyboard, we just didn't like him visually as much, just what he was doing. So then we'd try a different animal. And, and at one time it felt very repetitive in the script because it was everybody's story one after another and it started to get a bit of a boring shape. To it. So we took out a couple of animals and put in animals that were, it was more of a physical problem like the pig. So you never hear his story. He acts out his problem in, in the class. So, and the same with the cat. You just show that kind of... Uh, compulsive behavior physically like you see it because everything else was just spoken so that was getting a little boring just talking about your problem all the time so so that took a while just to choose a few versions of drafts of the script to, to get the right animals I mean there's many you could everyone had you know you talk to people about the idea before we finished it and people go oh yes you could have a blah blah animal and that would do that we think oh shoot yeah we didn't think of that but anyway <laughs> so i mean there's many you could have is that you um as the voice of the cat yes it's a very minor role it's a, it's a nice little uh, <laughs> nice little cameo i thought <laughs> good are you going to be going to festivals with it next week we go to annecy in uh, France. And it's at Zagreb, but we're not going to... Uh, I think it's this week, isn't it? It's this week. And then it's at Edinburgh. It's oh, very exciting. Right. And, and uh, you know, the nice thing is, of course, especially with a comedy, is to see it with a big audience. Mm -hmm. And that'll be incredible. We've, we've only shown it... We've screened it once to an audience uh, here and um, a couple of times to smaller groups. And it's, you know, it's really interesting to hear how people respond to the jokes and what things get laughs and what mm. gets missed sometimes. So uh, uh, in Annecy, the, the, the auditorium holds um, 800 people. So that should be interesting. It's usually pretty high energy. Yeah. And also at animation festivals, people are often really hungry for comedy. <laughs> yeah. And it's also nice, I think, people laugh at things maybe like you don't you hadn't really thought of as like the funny bits you know there's things that different people respond to in a different way yeah. i think that can be kind of a gratifying part of the festival experience as well and then it has subtitles in for french so then people reading them will mm. respond at a different rate we saw bob's birthday once in berlin at the film festival there and that was really interesting because it had german subtitles and lines that we knew would would get laughs from other screenings got laughs, but totally out of sync with when the characters said them because it took the time to read the line. <laughs> well, congratulations again. Um, Thank you. Uh, sorry I won't be able to see you guys over there, but great news, and uh, thanks very much for taking the time. It's been a treat. Thank you. It's been really nice talking with you. That was Alison Snowden and David Fine, and Animal Behaviour is doing the rounds at festivals. As we mentioned before, it's going to be at Zagreb this week, Annecy next week, Edinburgh after that, and Anima Mundi in July, and I'm sure many more to come. Hopefully it'll be on this side of the pond pretty soon. Try and stop it. And their website is snowdenfine.com. You can check out all their other short films, commercial work, all sorts of stuff. Something uh, that was pointed out between recording segments that I hadn't picked up on, Steve, you noticed that the uh, end credits give thanks to the team of doctors that took care of Alison when she had a health scare last year. Yeah, Vancouver General. 
so we had a little, I didn't actually know what that was about. And um, I think this is okay to sort of share. It's very fascinating, but it's a, it is a public article yeah. at vghfoundation.ca, Allison's story. And it's this very sort of detailed account of what really reads like a, a full-on near-death experience. It's terrifying. Yeah. It's a very detailed article. Yeah, about uh, Allison becoming very ill during the production not that long ago, maybe a year and a half ago, I guess. So, I mean, you know, she was, she's an absolute rock star. You know, she's, from that interview, I'm sure you can tell she's fighting fit. They're in a good place. It's a real relief to know everything that we kind of, everything that I was sort of saying about, like, how nice it is that they're, you know, still making films. That's that's kind of just been amplified a whole bunch. Absolutely, yeah. This article is, uh, and, and there's a video as well that they've made uh, um, on, on the article, the top of the article. Uh, it, it really does get, make you put it into perspective, Rio, doesn't it? The uh, Not that we take our filmmakers for granted, but, uh, you know, such a wonderful uh, ending to this story. Um, that, uh, but, but such a harrowing one as well that she, she looks to have gone through. Uh, and so nice of them to dedicate the film, uh, which is a, a fantastic piece of work, to the the staff at the hospital as well. So yes, there you go. And uh, I think they are going to be at Annecy. I don't think they'll be at the other festivals for the time being. Yeah, I'm sure they'll uh, they'll be around with the NFB lot. So if you guys are there, you might drop into them in person. Another reason for me to be envious. There you go. <laughs> well. Thank you for joining us. You'll be able to catch up with Steve and Aaron and various other squiggly people in Annecy if you're going. If you go into the Society for Animation Studies in Montreal the week after, you might catch uh, Laura Beth and myself, but uh, I don't really have much else on. Uh, my new film is playing in a couple of festivals. It's playing at a skating rink in Bilbao in Spain on Friday, I believe. A busy Friday, sorry. Well, move your plans around. <laughs> this is clearly appointment watching. <laughs> it's playing at the Artzander Skating Rink um, at the Chaostica Film Festival on Friday, June 8th. Uh, that starts at 9, and it's a big shindig that goes on all night. I think they are having their festival's award ceremony that night as well. And then at the end of the month, it's playing in Minnesota in a barn. So a skating rink in a barn, why not? Fantastic. That's at the Free Range Film Festival for the Minnesotans in the Squiggly Podcast listenership of which there may very well be a percentage. I'm going to check that out. It sounds like fun. I like, actually, when festivals have that kind of quirky identity about them. Yeah. Or they will at least give that to, like, a program or a section. Like, some, some festivals have done some pretty nifty things with where they screen stuff. I remember one time Clean and Throw was shown in, like, an open-air pool. And then there's stuff like K-Rock, where they, you know, play films on a boat. And uh, the good old days of Annecy, they would do Annecy Plus, and they'd show films on dirty bed sheets. And I thought that was <laughs> yeah. that was one of my early uh, early honors was uh, being involved in that. Yeah. Uh I think they don't do that anymore sadly. But um if you see Nancy while you're there maybe uh give her a nudge and see if we could get that going. Maybe we could do a squiggly Annecy plus. Well, I'll bring a you. dirty bed sheet along. Uh I suppose I should plug Manchester Animation Festival being that it is my job. Uh so we've opened up for our short film competition. 
and our Industry Excellence Awards. We've got some uh, exciting news coming up for the Industry Excellence Awards. But yeah, so if you want to submit a short film, you can do for free over at manchesteranimationfestival.co.uk. And if you want to nominate a friend or production that you've worked on, so if you've done storyboarding, writing, character animation or character design, uh, and you want to uh, uh, animate, you can animate yourself. But if you want to nominate yourself uh, for an Industry Excellence Award, you can do so for free as well. Uh, And you've got until Friday the 27th of July 2018. That website again is manchesteranimationfestival.co.uk. Does characterful lightning and electricity animation count as character animation? It certainly does, Ben. Well, I'm sure I would nominate myself, but I'm sure everyone else on the team has already done it. We absolutely inundated. Crashed the site. <laughs> I broke the internet. Fantastic. So I guess in the meantime, uh, there'll be some more NSC coverage in general going up, or some other like sort of participating filmmaker interviews uh, going up on Squiggly during Annecy and just before Annecy, so check out squiggly.com for those. Of course, we're on Twitter at squiggly, Instagram at squiggly, animation, facebook.com slash squiggly magazine. I'm on Twitter at Ben L. Mitchell, Steve is at Mr. underscore S underscore Henderson, and I'm out of social media links to spout, so... Follow us on Instagram. Yeah, do, do that one. If, you, if you're going to pick one, that'll be this month. Yeah. Until next time, bye-bye. Toodle pip.